Digital Marketing Radio, episode 136. How to create a compelling online offer. DigitalMarketingRadio.com Today's episode is brought to you by Aweber. Build your email list, engage your subscribers, do email the right way. I've arranged a special deal for all Digital Marketing Radio listeners, and that's a 60-day free trial with the email marketing software provider I use, Aweber. Lock in your 60-day free trial, plus view a video that I've recorded in the three reasons why I use their service at aweber.com slash dmr. So just go to aweber.com slash dmr to get started today. The Big Interview with David Bain. I'm David Bain and this is Digital Marketing Radio, weekly interviews with online marketing gurus. Catch up with all the previous episodes at digitalmarketingradio.com. Now, today I'm joined by someone who was ranked the number one tennis player in Switzerland before suffering a career-ending injury at the age of 17, forcing him to re-evaluate his entire life. Since then, he's built a multi-million dollar internet marketing business in less than 36 months and authored a book called Maximize, 29 Strategies to Turbocharge Your Business with the Power of the Internet. Welcome to DMR. Matthias Mazur. Thanks, David. Happy to be here. And that was a really good intro. So thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Now, that's all we've got time for. So we've got to close up now. Oh. No, no. no. <laughs> so, uh, well, of course, you can find Matthias over at MatthiasMazur.com. Um, I'll have a link to that in the show notes at DigitalMarketingRadio.com. So, Matthias, what is a compelling online offer? So... The way is, it's funny, I was just creating a training for some of our members today. And, and really what it boils down to is when you really analyze pretty much anything about business, it's really about creating something that the audience, that the market is attracted to. So, you know, you can have, there's a lot of products that look like they're the same in every market. But a lot of them, if you analyze successful companies, all have a certain hook, all have a certain position in the market, and all have a different offer. And oftentimes you can have a what's considered to be a pretty boring product or a pretty um, normal offer. And, and by tweaking a few things, you can make it very special. You can really uh, start attracting different customers. You can start attracting higher quality customers. And you can start, you know, kind of pushing the bad customers and people you don't want to have uh, in your business away just by tweaking a few things. So um, creating an offer is really the basis before you do any type of marketing, before creating advertisements, before buying traffic, before creating landing pages, before creating anything. It's really thinking of what am I selling and how can I position what I'm selling in a way that really makes it very, very attractive and seductive for my ideal market to come to me and want to buy it without having to think about it, without having to negotiate on price. And how can I create the, the, the sexiest thing alive in my market to really gain market share? That's the way I view um, you know, everything, like how, how I create offers and how I think about offers. It's interesting that you mentioned there the people that you don't want as well. Because um, a lot of people are probably scared of actually turning potential customers away. But do you think that's a mistake? Do you think that every business needs to be very, very defined about who they want as a target customer? And it's a good idea to turn away prospects? Yeah, that's a really good question. Because 
you know, it, 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 so I'll answer this question a bit differently. I think it really depends on what stage your business is at. So, uh, and, and how new you are to the entrepreneurship game, um, as anyone, like as I mean, I've I've been in the entrepreneurship game for a long time. I'm young, but I, I started when I was really young, so I'm kind of you know I've I've seen and done a lot. So my perspective is different than someone who's just starting out, right? But the the way I would the the best way of putting this is selling is easy. That's the way I see it. So it might be very contrarian, and it might be a bit you know, uh, unexpected for me to say that I feel that, and, and I know that marketing and selling is easy. So the way I see any sales dynamic is who do you want to service? Meaning who do you want to have not only for a day, because you have to think of business as a long-term play. Um, today in today's marketplace, maybe 50 years ago, 200 years ago, I wasn't even born, but, um, you could get away with a, with making a lot of money on a front end transaction. So on the initial transaction. So in that case, okay, I'll just create a product and get as many buyers as possible. And then I'll never have to deal with them. But in today's dynamic, in today's business, in today's marketplace, the real money is made with long-term, you know, um, transactions, people who buy over and over again, people who buy more products and services. So if you start a relationship, a, a, a customer relationship, so a customer, and, and if, you're, uh, if you're selling, so a, a professional transaction with someone who is not qualified for you to, for him to buy what you're selling on the back end, to buy more things, not only will you lose your time with those people, so you'll literally go crazy. I mean, I think anyone listening to this who's made any kind of sales knows that there's good customers and bad customers, right? Mm. So by by creating a compelling offer, you really get to attract the ones you want to. And it's saying no will eventually become more important than saying yes. So um, because the way we see it is, and experience shows it, 10% of the customers will cause 90% of the issues. <laughs> and that, and we see that time and time again. So how, how can we create a, an offer and a dynamic where we actually get rid of those before they even buy? And so the people that do buy are very committed and they're more likely to buy what we offer six months from now, five years from now, et cetera. So it's, it's, uh, it's something that you learn as you go. But it's something that I would have loved someone to tell me if I'm starting out today is say no to the people you feel that are not going to be a good fit for you. So what do you do with those people? Do you just say no to them and try and get rid of them as soon as possible? Or do you actually try and bucket them into a different email list to potentially sell something else to at some point in the future? It, it really depends. And it's a horrible answer, but I'll, I'll give you two examples. It depends if, is it worth your time getting those email addresses, so creating lists of, let's call them like undesirable customers <laughs> and sending them offers that you don't, like sending them offers as an affiliate maybe, so you don't have to deal with those types of customers who come back for customer support and who ask you know, thousands of questions, or is it a better use of your time to say, sorry, we don't do that, and I'm sure you can find other people in the market to serve you, but that's not what we do. And as you go, it's really a matter of managing your time. So there comes a point where 
you start getting more attention, you make more sales, and even dealing with the scenario where you said, do I actually get those customers, sorry, those prospects, and do I put them on a different list? That in itself becomes not worth your time mm. because you're attracting so many of the right customers that you know you, there's only so many hours in the day and you don't really have time. It's not worth it to to deal with with people who don't fit what you're offering. Yes, what what you're offering, what you want to do as a business, and what you actually like to do as well. There is perhaps a business in that list, but if it's not in your core area of expertise or what you actually want to do, then I guess focusing any of your time on that is probably wasting your time. Yeah. yeah. I'll give you a very concrete example. If you walk into a, uh, a Ferrari dealership, right, where, uh, a, a, like a high-end, I'm Swiss, so we have a lot of uh, high-end watches, obviously. If you walk into any of those very luxurious brands, they won't take your email address and say, hey, we'll send you to Swatch. Or we'll, we'll send your email address to Casio so they can sell you like a $50 watch. Mm. They won't even almost talk to you, right? So it's extreme, but it's, it just illustrates the point that if you know who you're selling to, you don't even need to waste time with the people who don't fit what you're selling to. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. It's positioning yourself as a brand as well. Yeah. And what about the correct time to sell to someone? Is it always appropriate to try and get a sale the first time they actually visit your website? Or is nurturing that relationship and building that trust over time more appropriate in certain industries? That's a really good question. And, and, and so there's two answers. There's two schools of thought. It really comes down to the, the, the vision that you have as the executive, as the entrepreneur. Um, we, we've done both. So for some, uh, it also depends on the price of the transaction, right? We sell, uh, through the agency, we sell services that go up to $250,000. That's you won't make a, a quarter of a million dollar sale the first day meeting your prospect, unless if they've done a lot of research on you, they've read a lot about you, they know people who recommend you, and they're they're buyers. It, it's not going to happen, right? You're going to have to build that relationship. Um, for some transactions that go up to six or eight thousand dollars we will have transactions that happen literally on day one of people arriving in the funnel so that that happens too so it really depends on the process you place the prospect in before he reaches the decision so if i'll give you an extreme example again to illustrate this if someone signs up on your website and you're selling a fifty thousand dollar package, whatever it is. Uh, if you're, It can be a, a physical product. It can be consulting. If, if that's your pitch, if your pitch is, you know, you just gave me your email address and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell you a $50,000 thing, it's never going to happen, right? But if someone comes in and you place them through specific marketing channels, you give them to your sale, your phone sales team, you send them a physical package, you follow up with them every couple of days, they, they, they can buy within a week or two. So you can really speed up the decision-making process depending on the, the, the effectiveness of the marketing. So we're recording this um, live on Blab, of course, for any um, repeat um, listeners. And um, Rick of Rock asked a question 
how is the latest Panda update going to affect customers? So obviously this relates to SEO and the Panda update obviously relates to quality content. From my perspective, it's not a major issue as long as if you're focusing on quality, unique content um, yourself as a business. Do you have any perspective on that at all, Matthias? Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, Google is always going to change the rules. And, and the reason why, why why they do that is just because they want to filter out people who put out real, genuine content versus people who spam the search engines. And both methods are viable for a, a different period of time. Um, but it's in Google's best interest to start filtering that out. But I, I think the, the, the question is, of course, it's a big update for Google, but at the same time, if you have a good strategy and you know that the content, the content you're you're putting out is good, and you're building an audience the way you're doing it, for example, you know that you have original content. It's fine. Like I, I it doesn't it, it doesn't even register in my mind because if if you're not trying to manipulate the search engines to the extreme, you'll be fine. Absolutely, completely agree with that. But obviously, of course, online marketing changes a lot over the years. We're in 2016 now. What are some of the more essential aspects to be focusing on in 2016 compared with previous years, do you think? It's, it's, it's interesting because I started marketing over uh, 10 years ago, since so 2004, really like heavily marketing. Uh, so you see trends happening every six to 12 months. You, know, you see um, uh, people changing their buying behavior differently, especially after the 2008 crisis. There was a huge drop after the credit crunch hit. Because consumers didn't have any credit, really, on credit card, right? So mm. that affected sales immensely. So um, if I have to look at 2016 and the way I see things going, I really feel like it's it's back to basics, which is pretty reassuring for companies and, and entrepreneurs who do things the right way. Meaning pre-2008, you would have companies who knew that Consumers had no limit on their credit card. And if we're talking online sales purely, it's all about credit cards, right? That's the only way really you can sell. Like 90% of, of transactions happen uh, with your credit card. So I feel like that washed away a lot of the of the BS in a way. And so now I feel like there's a really huge, huge opportunity for, for companies and entrepreneurs who do things the right way. And that's one thing. So just focusing on two things, like building a good brand, a brand where you're actually providing value, where you're actually putting out good stuff, and also linking that with the luxury of, of online advertising that's, that's available today, which when I started out did not exist. Like we started out on Google AdWords and Bing and even Overture before that. The, the level of sophistication in the way you can target and reach your audience on Facebook or Twitter, for example, is huge. So I feel like it's back to basics, really. I'm, I feel very uh, confident and, and just very at ease with the way things are going now because um, I feel like in the last few years, Google kind of cleaned up a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's – I know a lot of black hat guys who do things the wrong way and they're still making a lot of money, but they had, they, it's always – Cops and robbers, right? It's always uh, figuring out things and, and how soon will Google find you in a way and, and shut you down. So I feel like it's if you're just focusing on doing good things, it's it's a great time. Yeah. It's, it's easier now than a couple of years ago. I can tell you that too. Yes, no, completely agree with you as well. 
back in 2004, five and six, I was making really good money through Google AdSense and um, getting my pages ranked to the top of Google and driving a lot of visits through that. But it didn't feel like a, a right, decent business model that you could actually feel good about at the end of the day. And now Google actually encourages you in a way to actually create businesses that are long lasting, that are based yeah. on people really appreciating what you do over the long term. So that's, that's, a, that's a great thing, that is. And I also think that social media pushes you to do that. Like, you know, there's, if you put out really bad content and you're trying to, to, to do harm to the marketplace, people will talk. And now it's, I mean, it's, come on, it's like people send out a tweet. It, it Things can go viral so fast within a small market that like if you're doing bad things in today's market is like the worst time ever, which is great because if you actually focus on the good things, you know, putting out and having like a viable business, um, obviously focusing on sales because you need to pay your bills and that's how you make money. But doing it the right way, it's it's the best. It's really the best time and the biggest opportunity that I've seen in the last few years. So do you think a business can still be successful in the future by people, in effect, actually hiding behind the business brand and not having their own personal brand? Or do you think to be successful in the future in a business, it will have to be paramount to actually have individuals to put themselves forward and actually build their personal brand authority as well? really depends on what the goal is, you know, if, and this is more in terms of like how you structure a business, meaning if, if you want to build a business to sell it, it's virtually impossible to sell it with your name attached to it. If you've been marketing it for five years and you want to sell it in five years, if everything you've done, if every customer that came into your business was sold through you one-to-one or through your videos, Selling that is going to be difficult because the buyer knows that it's the business will depend on you and your face. So it really depends, I would say, on, on how you want to structure the business. Both work great, but even if you look at corporations today, you'll see executives and CEOs who are kind of like who are old school, who you know, who are in their sixties, who who did not grow up with Snapchat and Instagram being forced today to really step in, in front of the camera and, and actually interact with customers and, and give a face to the corporation. So I feel like because of social media pushing for transparency, we'll see more and more of even big brands being pushed by the CEO. You'll see more CEOs step in actively and actually, and you see this with big brands like Nike, for example, you see executives like Mark Cuban, being really involved in using their clout and their social, um, you know, their social status to push their brands and their investments. I think it's really, it's, it's, that's why I'm saying it's like, it's back to kind of basics because your reputation will matter more than ever. I think now in the age of transparency. A lot of great points there. Thanks. Uh, well, coming up, we're going to be um, learning about the one piece of software that uh, Matthias couldn't live without. But first of all, I'd just like to um, take a little break and say a, a quick thank you to everyone who's left a review on my introduction to SEO course in Udemy. I've now actually had um, over 13,000 people take the course, 264 reviews at the point of recording. Um, just today, I got a review from Nancy Farinas saying, David, thank you so much for putting such a well-organized and easy 
to comprehend presentation and SEO, SEO basics together. Um, there was a good balance of seeing you on screen. Your delivery of the information was excellent. So um, a great, great um, review there from Nancy. So thank you for that. And thank you for everyone else who has left reviews. But let's segue into the second section of our discussion. And that focuses on Matthias's thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with software I couldn't live without. So what software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact your marketing success? Um, I would say there's a few. I would say Skype is a big one just because I have Skype on my computers and my phone. That's how we I communicate with my team. Uh, Skype would be a big one. Dropbox for sure, because everything's stop, you know everything's really in the cloud now. In anything you do, um, I would say one that I love is Roboform. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it, it saves all your passwords. That's really a lifesaver for me. And I got this like over ten years ago, so it was it was good. And yeah, I would say like those would be the main three that would be difficult to operate just on a on a basic level. Roboform, actually, that that's a blast from the past because I used to use Roboform for actually submitting um, websites to directories. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but you can also use it for passwords as well. So a great yeah. tool in LastPass and tools like that. So, thanks for that. But um, a slightly more challenging question: What piece of software don't you use, but you've heard good things about, and you intend to try at some point in the near future? You know, I. <laughs> I honestly, uh, it's a bad question to ask me because I'll tell you why. Even though I'm I'm an online marketer and I I know what's happening in the marketplace, I tend to kind of put the blinders on because I feel like um, when when things are going well in business, I tend to not 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 look what's happening uh, what's happening in the market but really stay focused on what I'm doing so I tend to kind of like close my vision down uh, in a good way I, I mean like I'm always aware of what's happening but my time and my attention I really try to focus on what we're doing does that make sense so it, it does absolutely um you're you're too sensible <laughs> most uh, entrepreneurs are just um fascinated by this bright shiny thing that um appears every so often and um, they go off and actually follow up that that than doing the thing that they need to be doing i will say that i will say that um the number one thing it's not a direct software it's, it's more of a, it's a platform uh that i feel is going to gain a lot of traction in the next 18 to 24 months is Snapchat. Okay. And, and even though we do use it, I haven't used it as much as Facebook or Instagram. Uh, but I feel like that's, I feel like it's, it's, it's a good time to start building something. Um, just looking at what the company is doing. I, I feel like it, it can re- it's one of those that can explode in the next 12 to 18 months. And you don't have any shares in Snapchat at all, do you? I, no, no, I would, no, <laughs> Because I, I ask you because um, as as Rick and Rock says in the uh, in the chat, uh, Gary V is pushing it like crazy at the moment. And but he, yeah. he he is a backer of it. You know, he's got shares yeah, in it as well. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he's biased. So, <laughs> but but you know, I, the reason why is just because it makes sense. You know, the way I see it is, I feel like it, it's really about. You know, I was talking with my grandma. She's on Facebook, which is scary to me. She's eighty four years old, right? So I feel like. Facebook and and you see, uh, even though I have Facebook open pretty much all day, like even on my phone, um, I feel like 
you know, even the way I behave towards Facebook, I don't check out notifications notifications as much. So I feel like I'm not giving as much importance to comments or likes or shares on Facebook that I do when I get a Snapchat, which is interesting and in kind of looking at how you, uh, how we, so uh, even even view platforms. So I feel like Snapchat is 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 going to really hit hard. I also think that Instagram is undervalued and will go up more and more just because I think we live in a very I mean we do live in a very ego driven society and those platforms are just awesome for sh- for sharing you know ego based stuff. So I feel like both are really going to gain a lot of traction. Yes. Yeah. I mean, um, I've got negative-ish feelings about um, Facebook myself and um, perhaps um, I might not feel the same way if it offers a service like Blab does, like live video like this, and there's talk of it doing this kind of thing in the future. So I'm sure Facebook will evolve and I'm sure I'll get back to it and (laughs) even though people love to hate it, that's where the community is as well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, they're, 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 you know they're buying everyone, by the way. So that 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 always shows who's the number one player in the market. You know the the, the player. Uh, and look at like the, in the Microsoft years, they would buy everyone. Then Google would buy everyone, and now Facebook is buying buying everyone. So they, you know, they're here to stay. And the way what's interesting with Facebook is really the data. And and you know it's it's not a secret. Facebook has the most data in in any platform uh, online at the moment, which is which is crazy for us advertisers. I mean, for us, it's paradise because we can really tap into 1.4, 1.5 billion users. So I feel very strongly towards Facebook ads and I feel strongly towards the natural use and the organic growth of Instagram. By the way, Instagram ads are not maximized yet. So that's, that's going to be interesting. Probably this year, they'll put more focus towards creating a better product for advertisers. But I feel like Instagram and Snapchat will gain the most traction. Okay, well, I'll include links to all your recommendations in the show notes over at digitalmarketingradio.com. But uh, moving on to... I wish I would have. I'd like you to look back in the very first day that you're involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? I, I, I wish I would, I, I would have understood the the basics of online marketing and online sales sooner because the, you know, the only thing, everything boils down to two things online and offline too, but online it's even, you know, more crucial. How much are you spending to acquire a new customer and how much money are you making for every customer that comes in? So if you're spending ads, right, you're, you're running ads and you're spending 50 bucks to acquire a new customer or a hundred bucks or depending on the service you, you know, you're selling, it might be more, it might be $5,000 to acquire a customer. And then knowing how much that customer will spend with you in the next six months, 12 months, 24 months and lifetime. I think if, if I, if I would have been aware of those two metrics earlier, like those two things earlier, it would have, really made me think differently um, and I would have scaled several of my businesses way faster way faster great thoughts and with regards to what paid advertising activity is working best at the moment is it Facebook advertising that um, is best for you just now 
Yeah, so so Facebook is great. I'm also a bit wary of Facebook because I feel like Facebook is becoming Google in 2008, 2009, meaning more and more advertisers are using Facebook. And I, I've gone through this with Google before where, uh, where everyone, when everyone's using Facebook, Facebook will come in eventually. It can be in a month, in three months, in six months, or in five years, but they will shut down thousands of accounts like Google has before just because that it happens happened with Bing, happened with every platform that, that's out there. So I feel like a lot of companies are over-relying on Facebook ads. So yes, we do use Facebook ads, but I feel like Instagram's products might be interesting just because of how native it is. I, every time I go on Instagram, I, I see ads and I don't even... I even, you know, and I, I, I mean, we've spent millions in online ads, so I know exactly what's happening on the back end when I see an ad. But even for me, when I'm surprised that it just, it's, it's slick. So I feel like it, it can really work. Uh, but I feel like it's also back to basics in terms of online ads and having direct deals and, and direct relationships with platforms. So cutting the middleman and going to forums, blogs, sites that sites that have big distribution and brokering deals with them directly, which very few advertisers do, by the way. So that's also a big, a big opportunity for, for, for people who have the balls and the budget to do it. Yeah, native advertising is um, becoming very interesting and potentially going to be a big competitor to the likes of the big traditional networks like uh, Google and Facebook. Um, and I've got an advertiser in this podcast and lo lots of people will be starting to deal directly. Do you see that to be a really growing trend in the future? Well, it, you know, it's funny because that's how I started out. That 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 was That's how you had to do it before there were all these online platforms in the RTB platforms where you can actually where you could buy traffic that was aggregated before there was no aggregator. So you had to go one by one and placing, you know, and creating specific ads for each blog because they would have to be reviewed by the blog owner. So it was, it was, it was hell. It was really time consuming, but I feel like that's coming back now because also I feel like blog owners and publishers are happy to deal more directly than to place their ads in inventory on platforms so I feel like that's also interesting to explore uh, having strategic partnerships with publishers. The this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Just two rules here. Try not to think about the answer too much. And you're only allowed to say the word both one, on one occasion. So ready to go? Yep. Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Display ads. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one -on -one relations? One-on-one -on -one re uh, relationships. Paid search or SEO? Paid search. Email contact form or telephone number? Email. Website or app? Website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Both. And local marketing or global marketing? Global. Yay! That's amazing. I mean, most people go for email subscriber over social subscriber, but um, you rate Twitter followers and, and page likes on, on Facebook quite highly, do you? Well, yes, yes, because, I, because thinking long-term, that's, that's where it's going to be. Um, and, and I'm still very... 
you know, I, I built like everything we've done and everything we still do is also heavily based on, on, on email marketing and, and email sales. So like when we drive traffic to a webinar or any type, any offer, we'll drive way more traffic with email than we will with Facebook or so Facebook directly, not Facebook ads, but like with the brand. Um, so, but I see it as short term. I see it as really, so email is a much more direct response, right? If you want to do a webinar tomorrow, you email the list. Um, if you want it, it, you need to have a much bigger base on Facebook and Twitter to have the same results that you get in email marketing. So it, I would do both email marketing for short term branding and Facebook, Twitter for the long term. Okay. So you say both because they both work well and can work in tandem, not because you see email on the way out at all. Email is still going to be important for the future. Yeah. I, I feel so. I, I, yeah. I feel it, it'll still be around. Obviously historically rates are just dropping like crazy. Um, you know, we, we've sent over a billion emails in the last 10 years. So we've, we've seen, you know, how things go, but I feel like it's still going to be here for years, but at the same time, historically just social media is growing. So I feel like we're just at that kind of the, you know, the cross between email on, not on the way out, but like email will decline and social media will, will pick up just like it's, it has been in the last two or three years. So I feel like you need to do both to really impact people who are on, you know, the, you can reach out to, you know, through email and also through, through social media. The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? And would it be just be Facebook advertising by the sound of it? Pretty much. So it would be, it would be paid advertising. I would put the 10,000 in, in paid advertising. Okay. And in terms of measuring success, um, are you looking to get an immediate sale out of that? Or are you looking to, to build an email list as a, as a result? Both. So if I had, if, if I had 10,000 and nothing else, I would, I would put 10,000 in online advertising, drive them to an opt-in page and I would make an offer on the webinar. And would it be a live webinar or a pre-recorded webinar? Live. live. So if, 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 if it was my last shot, if I had my last 10K, I would put 10K. I would drive people to a registration page. I would do a live webinar, sell something for at least 500 bucks. And I would make 30, anywhere between 30 to 80,000 on that webinar. Is, is that something that you do on an ongoing basis at the moment? Yeah, that, That's pretty much our business model. That's what we do. So... Interesting, interesting. I've done a few yeah. webinars, but um, not too many sales focused. I've probably got to do a few more of them. Actually, yeah, got to get uh, get started in them. It's it's amazing. Like it's it's the best way that you know. I've built sales teams up to sixty salespeople. Um, I've done you know dozens of sales presentations on stage. Webinars are uh, from what we've seen. Unless if you want to build a, a real phone team, which you know, makes a lot of money, but at the same time, you need to manage salespeople, which is not easy um, and requires day-to-day management. Webinars are the number one way to convert audiences to build a great relationship because you would be having a two-hour presentation with them and you would have their attention for two hours. And if you make a great offer, they're at, they, you know, most of them would buy. And even if only 10% buys, you you're still making you know probably any at least doubling your money on every webinar. 
Well, Matthias, I could keep on picking your brain for probably at least another hour, but uh, probably wouldn't be too too fair to you at the moment. But um, I reckon we can distill your knowledge into one takeaway, if that's okay, and finish off with... My number one takeaway. So you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to take away and implement in their businesses? I'm also involved in the movie business. So I'll give you something that relates to movies too. Matt Damon, when Matt Damon won the Oscar when he was 19 or 20 years old for Good Will Hunting, he said, you're one good movie away from being the biggest star you could ever imagine. Because that's what happened to him, right? In the same way that that happened to him, I've seen it for us, for clients, for us, like for mine companies, when we go into a new market, you're really one great offer away from seven figures in business literally in the next three to six months. So when you have an offer that is compelling, that the market wants, that's multiple seven figures in the long term and, and pure freedom for you. So that would be the main thing that I would focus on. A lot to think about there. And I'm sure that um, a lot of people will listen to this again and again because you've you've offered a lot of information throughout this conversation so thank you so very much um what is the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do um i think mainly my blog so matthiasmazur.com and i don't know if you if you link it or if you publish yeah, it so absolutely i'll include that in the in the show notes show notes at digitalmarketingradio.com but feel free to mention anything you want as well yeah, and then so so that's like the main platform, and then I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter, so not not so much on my Facebook, my public page, but more through Twitter. So and my Twitter handle is at Matt Missouri, so that would be the best way to to reach out. Excellent. So um, thanks to Matthias, and thanks, dear listener, too. Um, if you enjoyed what Matthias shared today, here's how you can help. Go and get a friend's iPhone. Go to the podcast app and search for Digital Marketing Radio. Click on the show and hit the subscribe button and make them listen too. Finally, I'm also host of another live show every Friday called This Week in Organic. Head over to thisweekinorganic.com to find out more about that. But that's all for now. Until we meet again, adios and uh, thanks again, Mateos. It was really good. Thanks. <laughs>